But hey, we're starting a new series tonight called Disruptor, and uh, like our lead pastor, Paul Andrews, said in that video, uh, we want to talk about the four different profiles of a disruptor that maybe you're an advocate, maybe you're an investor, maybe you're a builder, maybe you're a catalyst, whatever it is that you identify as. We believe that as a church that you're called to be an agent of change, that you're called wherever God has you to bring radical transformation and to make a difference right where you are, that God has equipped you, that he has called you, that he's given you everything that you need to be a disruptor. And uh, I love the definition of disruptor. It's in the, uh, I found this in the Cambridge English Dictionary. I don't know why it's important to say what dictionary you found it in. I think it helps validate it. It helps it sound a little bit more credible. Um, but it says this. It says, a person or thing that radically changes a system, process, or event and prevents it from continuing as usual or as expected. Sounds a little bit like Jesus. Um, and also it sounds a little bit like this marathon that just happened. Because let me tell you, um, getting home from church this morning was um, everything but usual <laughs> or expected. Um, if you ran that marathon, congratulations, that's a big deal. If you're here and you ran the marathon, that's like <laughs> kudos to you. Uh, but it took uh, my wife and I an hour and a half to get home. Uh, we took, got in the cab thinking that that would be the quickest thing to do, and that was a mistake. We got in the cab, then ended up having to get out of the cab to get on the train to get home. But we made it. But a disruptor is someone who brings about radical transformation and makes a difference in the world around them. And tonight, we want to focus on the profile of an advocate, the profile of an advocate. And we're going to look at it through the lens of a man by the name Barnabas, Barnabas. But let me pray for us before we jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And Jesus, I thank you that you are the greatest advocate of all, that we can learn everything that we need from your word and from you and from who you are. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, would you speak to us? Would you minister to our heart? Whatever it might be that we need, would you speak to us tonight? We love you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Amen. Come on, everybody said. Say it like you mean it. Advocate is defined as someone who speaks or writes in support or defense of a person or cause or to recommend publicly. We all need an advocate. We all need someone who's going to believe in us, who's going to call out the best in us, who's going to uh, look at us in our lowest moment and say that I still see all that God has for you. And uh, when I was in uh, sixth grade, I uh, was about four feet tall, believe it or not. Um, thank you, Mom. Uh, my mom is, I'm half Korean, half black. My mom is probably about four feet two. Uh, my dad is six six. And so you can see where I ended up. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I was about four feet tall in sixth grade, and uh, I tried out for the basketball team. And uh, why is that funny? <laughs> I'm actually pretty good, guys. Why is that funny? Uh, I tried out for the basketball team. Here's the thing. I wasn't tall, but I thought I was pretty fast. I thought I could shoot. I thought I could do some things. And um, that summer, I'd worked out with my sister every single day. And my sister was an amazing basketball player, amazing athlete. Um, she made the varsity basketball team her freshman year of high school. 
Uh, she had scholarship offers from Syracuse and Rutgers and a couple of other colleges to play basketball and softball. Um, and so she was just an amazing athlete. But we worked out that whole summer, and uh, I went to the tryout, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pumped, I'm ready. And uh, I thought the tryout went great. I felt good about it. I hit some shots. I did everything that they needed me to do. And, uh, and then two days later, the coach posted the list of names of the people who made the team uh, on his door to his office, which is like, could there have been any better way to let people know that they made the team? Like, everybody can see that list. And uh, so two days later, I go to check the list, and I'm like looking and looking and looking and looking, looking, and I don't see my name, and I'm devastated, devastated. And uh, because, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, you're in middle school, high school, it's like, you want to be on the sports team because it's cool, right, you know? And, uh, and then I wanted to be the guy who was four feet tall and made the basketball team. thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I didn't see my, my name on the list, and I was devastated. And uh, next year, uh, basketball tryouts came around, and I didn't try out because I didn't want to deal with uh, not making the team again. And my sister, she said, hey, I'm you know, really bummed that you didn't try out because I, I believe in you. I believe that you, you're a great player. You can do this. I know that you can do this. I've seen you do it. We worked out together all summer. And she said, hey, let's work out again all summer. In eighth grade, you'll try out again. So that's what we did and uh, didn't make the team again. Um, at that time, I was like four foot one. I grew an inch <laughs> and um, still didn't make the team. And I was devastated. And, uh, and my sister, she said, hey, I know you didn't make the team this year, but I really believe in you. I really think that you're a great player. Let me talk to the high school coach and see if he's okay with you working out with our team over the summer. And I said, yeah, it would be awesome. So she goes to the coach and she says, hey, is it okay if my brother works out with us this summer? Um, he's a really good player. I think that you guys should really look at him. He's a really great player. And in that moment of me not wanting to do this anymore, my sister was being my advocate. She was believing in me, even in the lowest moment, even when I was telling myself that I couldn't do it, she was my advocate. She put her name on the line for me to have an opportunity. And so that summer, going into ninth grade, I worked out with the team all summer long, worked my butt off, and uh, tried out for the team. This time, I'm like four foot 10. I had a giant growth spurt going from eighth grade to ninth grade. Y'all are laughing, but it was significant. And, uh, and uh, ended up making the varsity team my freshman year of high school. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, never played one minute. But I was on the team. That's all that matters. I got that Letterman jacket. It was awesome. I still have it at my parents' house because that's how much it means to me. But we all need an advocate. We all need someone who's going to be there in the lowest moment and still see the best in us and call us to something that's bigger and greater than ourselves. And, uh, and so we're going to look at a passage where Barnabas is this guy who's well-respected, um, amazing guy, amazing leader. And he does this for a guy named Saul. And uh, if we could go to uh, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to try to read through this as quickly as I can. Um, it's a lot of verses. Um, so if I'm like speed reading, just stay with me. I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm just reading really fast. 
Uh, but we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, anybody who was Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That would be a struggle for me. Uh, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. That must be a big basket. When he <laughs> came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, Saul on this journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus... He preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. You still with me? Yeah. Woo! Man. So here we have Saul, who's also known as Paul. They're not two different people. They're the same person. He just had two names. And um, that was the thing they did back then, gave everybody two names. And um, so Saul, here's this guy who's been murdering Christians. And here's the thing you have to understand about Saul. Saul was actually a very religious man. 
He was passionate about God, but so passionate that he thought that when the disciples came around and he heard about these people following Jesus, he thought that they were basically like a cult. And so what he would do is he would go to court. He would get orders to be able to arrest Christians, and he starts killing them one after another. But then he encounters Jesus. And what we know as a church, what we believe as a church, is that one encounter with Jesus can change everything, and it did for Saul. Saul goes blind. Three days later, he's miraculously healed by God. And then Saul is preaching Jesus. He's now on the team of people that he was persecuting. How crazy is that? Could you imagine being in a prayer meeting with the disciples in Jerusalem? Luke is greeting people at the door. John is turning on the worship music. And, uh, and you know, they're getting it ready. They're in a circle. They start praying. And uh, what happens is as soon as they're about to finish, the doors open up and Saul walks in. Could you imagine being in that room at that moment? I would imagine that Luke would look at John and be like, oh, my God. John, do you see who just walked into the room? And it tells us, you know, isn't he the one who's trying to kill us? I, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I, I don't think he deserves to be here. And what happens is I wonder how different that would be from our response. If Saul walked into the room, what would our response be? And what happens is the world had given Saul a label based on mistakes that he had made in his life. The disciples had seen this label that we had placed on him, that this is the guy who persecutes Christians. This is the guy who is the one getting us arrested for believing in Jesus. And we all are given labels in life. All of us. Maybe you received a label in school where your teacher said that you were useless. Maybe you received a label when your coworker looked at you and they called you dumb. Or maybe you uh, received a label from your parents who said that you were a mistake. Maybe from an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend or an ex-wife or ex-husband. They gave you the label that you were unlovable. But can I tell you that that label is not from God? It's not true. But so many of us start identifying with that label, and we start to become that label instead of what Saul did. Saul had his encounter with Jesus, and he started to not identify with the label that the world was giving him, but now he started to identify with the label that Jesus had given to him. But I wonder how many of us are stuck in a place of identifying and living with the label that has been placed on us. And let me tell you, in order for us to be an advocate, to be a disruptor, we got to understand that once we have been set free, that we truly are free. We will never be able to advocate for anything until we understand what the greatest advocate of all, Jesus, has done for us. Mm. And what I love about this is Saul tries to join the disciples, and what do they do? They are afraid. 
Uh-uh, that murder ain't coming in here. You better go somewhere else. Could you imagine getting a call from the pastor saying, hey, I got a guy for your community group. <laughs> Could you just maybe grab a coffee with him at a coffee shop where nobody goes to? And uh, could you imagine that? But I think that um, what's so beautiful is in that moment where the disciples are getting ready to write off Saul, the one that Jesus has chosen, Barnabas steps in and he says, no, 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 guys, this guy's the real deal. He's the real deal. And Barnabas steps in and he starts becoming an advocate for Saul. And here's the thing you have to understand about Barnabas is this was his default. This is who he was. It wasn't like he had to turn it on. All of a sudden, you know, Barnabas is over here and he's doing his own thing and not really being an advocate for anybody. And then the moment that Saul shows up, it's not like he's all of a sudden like, okay, advocate time. Come on, guys. Believe in this guy. No, this was who he was. And it's the reason that his words carried so much weight is that he lived this. But there's three things that if we are going to be disruptors, if we're going to be advocates in this room, and here's the thing, maybe you are thinking that I'm naturally not an advocate. Well, here's the thing, you are. Here's the thing, whether you know it or not, the way that you live your life, you are advocating for something. The way that you spend your time, the way that you, 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 you put your resources, or whatever it may be, let me tell you, the way that you live your life, you are advocating for something. You're advocating for something. And so, so I want to challenge you to lean in. Just because you might not have thought that you identified as an advocate, let me tell you, everybody in here is an advocate. We're advocating for something. It's just a matter of what are we advocating for. But I think that Barnabas, he shows us three things. That if we're going to be advocates that disrupt our world, that, that bring radical transformation, that make a difference in the world around us, that we have to do these three things. And the first one is this, encourage. Everybody say encourage. Look at the person next to you and say something encouraging to them. Look at that. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. People looking to their left, to their right, like, I don't know you. Uh... But the first thing we have to do is encourage. And Barnabas was such an encourager. The first mention of Barnabas in the Bible, it happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Here's the thing. This tells us that. Barnabas' real name was Joseph. That was the name that his parents... Miranda, congratulations. She ran the marathon. I couldn't help but acknowledge that because it's amazing that you're here. So Joseph, this, this, this verse tells us that Barnabas, the name that his parents gave him was Joseph. But here's the thing. Barnabas was such an encourager that the nickname that people gave him meant son of encouragement. And I wonder how many people could look at the life that we live and call us Barnabas. I wonder if my family, the closest friends, I wonder if my wife could look at me and say, 
I can give you the nickname Barnabas because you're such an encourager. That's who Barnabas was. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I wonder what kind of fruit our lips are producing. I wonder when people come into our church, I wonder what kind of fruit they're enjoying. Is it fruit that is building up or is it fruit that is divisive? Is it fruit that is protecting each other or is it fruit that's looking for something to talk about? Is it fruit that is gossipy? Ooh, gossipy fruit. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Doesn't that gossipy fruit taste sweet? For a little bit. Mm, but it doesn't last. Or is it fruit that's protecting and honoring each other? Is it fruit that is healthy or unhealthy? Is an advocate we're called to encourage and the fruit that our lips should produce should be fruit that gives life, fruit that protects and honors, and fruit that is building each other up. It was Barnabas' encouraging words that enabled the disciples to accept Saul. Without Barnabas speaking those words of life, who knows what Saul's life would have been? What the Bible tells us because of Barnabas encouraging the disciples, speaking life about who Saul was, we see that Saul went on to do unbelievable things in spreading the gospel. Here's the thing. You, when you encourage somebody, when you choose to speak life instead of trying to find something good to talk about, when you choose to speak life, you have no idea. When you speak life in that moment over somebody's life, you have no idea the legacy that you might be speaking into. You have no idea. And here's the thing. I'm proof. I'm proof of that. I do not deserve to be here. No way. But because... I had somebody like a Barnabas continue to encourage me, speak life. They had no idea the legacy and the impact that they were having on changing the trajectory of my life, disrupting my world so that I could then go and disrupt others. Encourage, encourage. An encourager is someone who always wants others to do well. Someone who always believes the best and sees the best in people. Whoo, that one's hard to do sometimes, ain't it? Mm. Always wanting other people to do well. It's easy when that isn't the same thing that we're doing, right? Man. But what would happen is if we, what would happen, what would our world look like? What would our church look like if we just chose to see the best in everybody? Here's the thing, when I, when I know that when we can choose to just encourage people, you know, maybe it's, it's you know, and, and here's the thing, maybe there's somebody that you have conflict with. It doesn't mean that you're not called to encourage them. But when you take the posture of always seeing the best in people, always seeing people the way that God sees them, let me tell you, encouraging them becomes so easy, even if there is a conflict. Here's what, here's what happens is all we see in the moment is we see the mistake or we see the failure. We don't see the journey that that person's been on. But God sees the whole picture. In this moment, Barnabas 
saw the whole picture with what God wanted to do with Saul's life. And if we can take the posture to just always see the best, believe the best about people, then let me tell you, we're never going to mess up in that moment. But we're always going to speak life. We're always going to choose the right thing, and that's to encourage everybody. And so we need to encourage. We need to encourage. Acts chapter 11, verse 23 to 24 says, When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I love this because later on in Acts, Barnabas is sent to a church that is exploding in Antioch. And uh, as soon as he gets there, he sees people coming to Jesus, experiencing the grace of God. And what does it cause him to do? It causes him to encourage people. So here's the thing. If you're having a hard time encouraging people, I wonder if you're experiencing the grace of God in your life. And here's the thing. It's not whether or not God's moving. God is always moving. But it's whether or not we're taking the time to stop and to see what God is doing around us. You know, people say, oh, I'm just not feeling God right now. Well, I, uh, what are you doing to look for him? He's moving. And so if you're having a hard time encouraging somebody, just find a little bit of time in your day, a little bit of time in your week. Just say, God, I want to I find you in every day. We get so fixated on wanting to see God do the big thing that we're missing the thousands of little things that God's doing, reminding us of his goodness, reminding us of his grace, reminding us of his love for him. Encourage, encourage. And what I love about that reminder about the grace of God and how it encouraged Barnabas was that Barnabas recognized the importance of the grace of God. He recognized that there's no one that's perfect. None of us in this room are perfect, which means this church is not perfect because you and I are in it. And I don't know about you, but, but that's good news for me. And because we recognize that no one in here is perfect, no one's trying to be perfect. No one's trying to put up this front that I am perfect. We're all under construction. But here's the thing, that we have a perfect Savior. And so here's the thing, when people come into this place with the courage to take their mask off and show us who they really are, what are we doing to encourage them and point them to that perfect Savior for their sin, that perfect Savior for their shame, their perfect Savior for the thing that they're struggling with? What are we doing? What are we doing? The second thing I think that we can learn from Barnabas is that as an advocate, we must be someone who is always looking to equip. Everybody say equip. Equip. Barnabas was an advocate who was just not looking to encourage, but always looking to teach and equip. If you look at Barnabas' life and what we know about it in the Bible and what the Bible tells us, is Barnabas was always helping some church, helping somebody, practically, walking with them, teaching them. This is how you become a better follower. These are the things that you can do. And I wonder what that looks like for us. Do we have somebody that we're right now practically equipping in our life? Maybe that looks like you deciding to become a community group leader next season. Maybe it looks like you joining a team. Maybe it actually looks like you doing equip, which is the program that we have for people who want to develop themselves. And here's the thing, develop themselves so that they can then develop others. And so I wonder, here's the thing, maybe it's at your job 
the person who sits next to you, for whatever reason, all they do all day is stare at you, give you these weird looks, and they don't actually do anything. Maybe God's calling you to just encourage them and equip them and to help them be the best employee that they can be. But we get so caught up in what we're trying to do that we fail to see what God might be trying to do in us. And so equip, equip. What are we doing to equip advocates who equip or helping others practically see the purpose and plan that God has for their future and their life and helping them to build and create the legacy that God wants to build through them? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the thing. If we're going to be advocates, we have to equip. It's the only way that the church is going to continue to be built. We need people who will do the work and know how to do the work. So who are you equipping? Who are you equipping? Who are you equipping? And equipping someone means nothing, absolutely nothing, if we don't do the last thing that I believe Barnabas shows us and. Equipping someone means nothing if we don't empower them to do it. As an advocate, we're called to empower. And this is the thing that I believe made Barnabas such a great advocate. To empower means to give someone the power or authority to do something. And I believe to really empower someone, it requires humility. Imagine if I said, hey, uh, Rebecca, I want you to lead worship. And uh, so I'm going to train you. Uh, over the next seven weeks, but I'm never going to give you a microphone. I'm never going to give you an opportunity. Don't think she would do that great. And she did an unbelievable job, but it's because people are empowering her to do it. Empowering somebody. Imagine if uh, somebody taught you how to drive by just coming beside you and writing down the directions. Oh, you need to step on the gas 50%. Then when you want to brake, release it, and then step on the brake 20%. And imagine if they never gave you the keys to the car, they never let you drive once, and then all of a sudden you get thrown into a car and you try to drive. I I will not be on that highway. But here's the thing. Equipping can mean nothing if we aren't empowering people to do anything. And so here's the thing, it's, it's in order for us to be people who, advocates who empower others, I think it requires us to get over ourselves. Because I think the, the, uh, the true desire to empower requires us to truly want somebody to achieve more than we ever could. To truly Empower, I think it requires us to have a spirit that says, no, no, no. I want this person to achieve more than I ever could with my life. I wonder how many of us actually take that posture. And I love this. In, in uh, the, the church in Antioch is exploding. And Barnabas is there, and he's doing his thing. And it just continues to grow, and it continues to grow. And what Barnabas does is amazing. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, it says this. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. 
and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And uh, what I love about that is, um, could you imagine being in a church or being, uh, you know, the, the founder of a business or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden this thing blows up? And uh, would you have the heart to say, you know what, I'm not the best person for this, but I believe that I've encouraged and equipped somebody to do something even, even greater than me, and so I'm going to give them an opportunity. I'm going to empower them to come and take my success, take the thing that I've built. Mm. Ooh. If I'm being honest, I don't know if I could do it. But this is what Barnabas does. He says, you know what, this church is growing, it's amazing, but I'm not the person for this. There's somebody who's better than me. I'm going to go get the guy who everyone rejected and bring him in because he's the one that God's chosen. I wonder if we're a church where people who might have been rejected by somebody else or some other thing, I wonder what happens when they get to our church. Are we looking at them the way that Barnabas looked at Saul? Because here's the thing. If we're truly going to be the church, if we're going to really disrupt this world and be advocates, I, I, want, I want the broken people to come here. I want the people who've been rejected to come here. Because apparently, those are the people that God loves to use the most. <laughs> Just like uh, Pastor Paul said, he said, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you would have asked me two years ago if I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, I'd tell you there's no way. Absolutely not. And, uh, but I had a Barnabas and multiple Barnabas. And the people in my life right now who've done this for me are Paul and Andy. It's the culture. It's the heart of our church. Paul and Andy, through some crazy circumstances with my wife and I, uh, we were a part of a church in Florida that planted a church on the Upper West Side. We quit our jobs, newly engaged, uh, planning a wedding, brilliant, right? Moving to the most expensive city in the world. <laughs> Makes all the sense. And, uh, and we get here, and two months in, the church that's in Florida that we've been a part of that we thought we were still going to be connected to says, oh, no, we want out but we're going to give the church to Liberty. And uh, through that, we met Paul and Andy. And from the first time that we met them, let me tell you, they had been a Barnabas to us. Even in a time that was difficult because we didn't know who we were anymore because the thing that we've been connected to for so long all of a sudden was gone. But what did Paul and Andy do? They came and they encouraged us. They said, hey, we believe, we believe, what, we believe in what God wants to do in your life. We believe in what God has for you. They continue to see the best in us, even in moments where we probably didn't deserve it. And then what did they do? They said, hey, why don't you come alongside of us? We want to equip you guys. And we're going we're gonna to pour into you. We're going to sow into your life. And then we're actually going to empower you. We're going to give you a community. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, and let me tell you, when I called my friends back home and I told them what I was doing, they were like, what? But isn't that the kind of response you would want? I don't know about you, but here's the thing. I know that I serve a God who is so big yes. 
that when people look at my life, I want them to be like, there is no way that that person should be doing what they are doing. But here's the thing. That's, that's the response that I want. People, I was, some people were doing, they were like, even my parents, they're like, what? <laughs> Do they know how old you are? Do they know how ratchet you can be sometimes? <laughs> and, uh, but here's the thing. That's what happens when we are Barnabas for somebody. Is people start to look at our lives and they start to say, oh, man, there is no way that person should be doing what they're doing. And then what happens is they look at it and they immediately say, oh, how did they get there? How did they do that? Oh, it's because I had a Barnabas. And here's the thing. Whether you're a believer in this room or not, I want to tell you this. Is that the greatest advocate of all is a guy named Jesus. And maybe you walked in here tonight and you feel like you've never known that Jesus is for you. He is. He is. He loves you. And he is the greatest advocate of all. The greatest advocate of all. Because Jesus is an advocate for me. I'm able to stand on this platform tonight and do what I'm doing. Because Jesus was an advocate for Paul and Andy. Paul and Andy were then enabled to be a Barnabas to Tess and I. And now Tess and I can be a Barnabas for so many other people. And so who are you advocating for? Because you're advocating for something. Who are you advocating for? Who are you advocating for? Uh, with every eye closed, the greatest advocate of all to ever live was Jesus. And he came and he gave his life so that we would have life and life to the full. And maybe you're here tonight and you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus because I didn't think that he could love me. I didn't know that he was for me. I didn't know that he was my advocate. I'm here to tell you that this is your moment. This is your night. And so if you walked in here tonight and you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never known that he was my perfect savior. I just want to give you an opportunity to make that decision tonight. And so on the count of three, I just want to invite you to lift your hand. Uh, it's for you. He's an advocate for you. He's a perfect savior for your sin. He's a perfect savior for your mistakes. And so on the count of three, if you would just so kindly lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. If you would say that's you tonight, I just want to invite you to lift your hand. I see you. I see you. I see you. And as a church, if we could pray this all together, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are the greatest advocate I could ever have. And you are a perfect savior for my sin. And today, I choose to follow you the rest of my life, the best that I know how. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, 
Can we celebrate really quick, church, the people who made that decision? And uh, I want to pray for another group of people. Um, uh, this morning when we were in Brooklyn, um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I cry all the time. And, you know, I, uh, I woke up this morning and had to throw some water on my face because my eyes were swollen because I was crying so much. Uh, but we, during worship, I felt the presence of God speak to me uh, that uh, I know in my personal life, um, sometimes the people who are closest to us are who we desire to be the ones advocating for us. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, I know for me in my life, um, there's a season, a large season of my life where um, I, the person that I wanted to be my biggest advocate was my dad, and he just wasn't that. Um, and it, it was a difficult season. And it's still difficult right now. It's still something that we're working on. Um, but I know that he loves me. But um, when Trish got up here after worship and she said... Uh, somebody was praying for reconciliation in their family. It's one of the things that we felt very strongly in Brooklyn. Um, and there was a, such a powerful response to that. I want to give people the opportunity um, to just receive prayer for that. So with every eye, with every eye closed, um, if you would say that maybe you've uh, been a part of a family where you've wanted your parents to be your greatest advocates and that hasn't been the case. And because of that, it's caused a little bit of a made it difficult to see Jesus as your advocate, I just want to pray for you. And so if you would say that to you, I just want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand. Um, I just believe that there's power in prayer. There's power and God can bring breakthrough right now. And, um, and so, Father, I thank you for um, every hand that's lifted. I thank you for every family that is represented by every hand that is lifted right now. And God, I pray for reconciliation right now. I pray for healing right now, God. I pray that you would begin to uh, put back together all of the things that might be broken because of the lack of our of parents or family being an advocate for us. And Father, I pray that right now that we would draw a line in the sand to say, you know what? They might not have been an advocate for me, but I'm going to turn the tide on that for my family. And I'm going to start advocating for them. Because I know the greatest advocate of all is Jesus. And so, Father, I pray healing. I pray peace. I pray comfort. I pray breakthrough. And I pray reconciliation. I pray that you would give every family that's represented here right now an opportunity to have a conversation about you. God, I pray that they would start bringing you into their family. And, God, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're doing right now to minister to these families' hearts. And I pray that right now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.